Hi everybody, all of you faithful listeners of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Here is a problem. There's a country um, called China. And uh, a couple of years ago, and I'm recording this in the summer of 2017, just after uh, the American President Donald Trump met with uh, Vladimir Putin, and uh, the progressive establishment is outraged that President Trump seemed to be much too friendly with, Pres- with uh, President Putin, uh, to such an extent that many of the more demented on the left argued that clearly Putin must have something that is holding over Trump to make Trump behave so compliantly. The progressive establishment is entirely infuriated that uh, President Trump is not declaring war on Russia because they interfered in the 2016 election. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But meanwhile, let me draw your attention to another country, a country called China, a country whose economy is threatening that of the United States, whose military aspirations, which now include building aircraft carriers, one of which is already launched, uh, threatens the United States, a country called China, whom, you'll pardon the joke, the International Tribunal in Europe uh, rejected Chinese claims to the South China Sea. Ooh, I can just imagine how terrified all oh, those Chinese mandarins must have been shaking in their boots when the uh, European uh, International Court ruled that they didn't have jurisdiction over the China Sea. So what did they do in the wake of that terrifying and rigorous ruling that they have no rights to the China Sea? Um, Well, uh, the first thing they did was um, they went ahead and uh, threatened Vietnam with military action if it did not stop offshore oil and gas exploration that was taking place in Vietnam's exclusive economic zone. However, China is claiming all of the South China Sea. So forget about Vietnam's waters. Uh, China very persuasively threatened uh, Vietnam, so uh, the Hanoi government immediately stopped their drilling. Uh, They tried one more time to do it. China again issued scary warnings, and they backed off. Uh, By the way, the United States did not even come out in support of Vietnam or condemn China's threats. Uh, Beijing has also gone ahead and pressured pressured other countries that border on the South China Sea, including Brunei, all right, that's a small country, but also Malaysia and the Philippines, right? And telling them, hey, we own the South China Sea, and anything you want to do has to be without permission. Furthermore, China is accelerating its militarization of the South China Sea. Yeah, that's right. They've deployed anti-ship cruise missiles, surface-to-air missiles, and electronic jammers on the artificial islands they've built on places that used to be called Fiery Cross Reef, Subi Reef, and Mischief Reef. These were reefs, but China has now 
built on them and expanded them into real islands, each of which is being turned into a forward operating military base. Uh, it has also placed long-range bombers on a place called Woody Island. These all used to be places in the South China Sea that were either considered to be international or they were part of Philippine waters or Malaysia waters. Anyway, Beijing laughs off any protests, and not that any have come from America, but um, uh, the point is that under international law, one of those islands that I was just talking about, Mischief Reef, it's not even Chinese, right? But it doesn't make any difference because the way the world really works, power trumps paper, right? That's how I put it. Power trumps paper, meaning you can come up with every paper treaty you want, but the bottom line is what power backs up those papers, if nothing, then the papers are utterly worthless. So there we are, aware of China's dramatic military buildup in the South China Sea. It's absolutely amazing what's been going on there. Any protest from the progressives in America? No, they're focused obsessively on Russia. Russia is the big problem and Trump is not being sufficiently harsh on Russia. But wait, have they been consistently strong on action against Russia? Well, let's pause for just a moment and find out about that. So a, a former Obama administration official, her name was Evelyn Farkas, F-A-R-K-A-S, if you're interested, uh, she's just one of the people who on uh, MSNBC attacked President Trump's meeting with uh, Vladimir Putin. And she said his performance was despicable and outrageous. And she said uh, the only way to uh, make up for it is mass resignations from the Republican Party in protest at the president's uh, softness of Russia. So um, let's see what she said uh, when Obama said he would be flexible with Russia. Do you remember that when Obama himself was caught on an open mic speaking to Mr. Medvedev and he said to him, please tell Mr. Putin that this is my last election. This was in 2012. Oh, no, excuse me, 2008. Uh, he said, this is my last election, and um, uh, after it's over, I can be much more flexible in terms of removing missiles from Europe, basically whatever Putin wanted. And um, and was there any sort of reaction of how outrageous and preposterous and despicable this was? Needless to say, no. Or how about, remember when Hillary had that stupid um, little game where she had a, a red button to symbolize the new reset button with Russia. <laughs> um, did the progressives express anger at Hillary with that? No. Let me take you also back to the 2012 election. And you may remember that uh, Mitt Romney um, excuse me, did I say 28 on the last, the last thing was, no, it was actually 20, uh, 2012, forgive me. Uh, but it was also in 2012. You might remember that in one of the debates, Mitt Romney uh, 
spoke about uh, Putin and Russia as dangerous. And Obama burst out laughing. He literally mocked and humiliated Mitt Romney at the notion that anybody could think Russia was dangerous. Now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Russia's become dangerous. How about when Obama reneged on the commitment to put missile shields in Poland and the Czech Republic? There was a commitment that Obama took with NATO. You know, the NATO that all of a sudden the progressives think is so terribly important? Well, no problem. The left had no problem when Obama reneged on that, as he reneged on so many other things, including the Syrian red line, uh, which was, again, part of Russia's involvement in Syria. Any problems with that? No. Um, How about when Obama himself called off the entire investigation against Russian cyber hacking? Yes, that really did happen. It was Obama who called it off. No, it wasn't Trump. It was Obama. Or how's about when Hillary arranged for the Russians to buy 20% of U.S.-produced uranium? Excuse me? At that point, everything is fine? Nobody said what a despicable surrender to Russia. No, nothing like that. Was there anger among progressives when Obama reneged on a commitment to help Ukraine defend itself from Russian invaders? Now, I'll come to this. I personally do not think that commitment should have been made in the first place. But Obama did, and he made it, and then reneged, wouldn't send any help to, uh, to Ukraine. Um, how about when the Democratic National Committee and Hillary produced a fake dossier on Trump? Any outrage on that from the progressives? Or when the Justice Department knowingly used the fake dossier as an excuse to spy on Republicans? Or when the Obama administration, for their own political purposes, uh, disclosed the identity of people around Trump? Any outrage there? But all of a sudden, the progressives' outrage at Russia now is big news. It's all you can read about. But concern about China? Nothing. Nothing there at all. Does this perhaps suggest that something is going on that has very little to do with how the world really works? Well, that's what I'd like to explain just as soon as we get back here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show. But uh, meanwhile, I have to also tell you about something rather remarkable. But um, what I have to tell you is that NATO which is, you know, 70 years have gone by, things change. Uh, The kind of cars we built and drove 70 years ago are not the kind of cars we build today. The kind of housing we built then, the kind of roads we built it, the world has changed. Uh, NATO is not needed in the same way that it was needed after World War II. Going back to China, if America was ever put in a position of having to engage in military activities against China, you do know that NATO wouldn't participate, right? And so you have to ask yourself right now, who really poses a more realistic threat to the interests of the United States, Russia or China? NATO is useful only for Russia, but if we find ourselves in difficulties against China, 
Well, we stand alone. NATO is of no use whatsoever. Nonetheless, NATO has constructed a new building, uh, a new headquarters on uh, Boulevard Leopold III in Brussels. If you're interested in these kind of things, you should try and take a look at a picture of it. It is huge, and I'll tell you just how huge in the next segment coming right back. Uh, But for now, let me tell you that uh, you can really learn a lot about what large new headquarters means about um, a company. To put it bluntly, if you are contemplating investing in a company that has just built a very impressive new headquarters, please don't. Why? Well, all that information will be found in a two-hour Torah teaching called Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of Babel. And and herein I explain the significance uh, of the tall tower syndrome. What happens when big buildings are built for vanity purposes and what that does to the culture that built them? And I compare it to... Uh, uh, the uh, AT&T building, the Sears building, the Pan Am building. Uh, what happens when large new buildings are constructed? And I confidently predict that this is the same as what will happen uh, to the new NATO building. But more on that in a moment. Right now, uh, please go to webs- my website at rabbidaniellappin.com and uh, read up about the Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of Babel because it's in that program that the ancient Jewish wisdom on this link between a culture's success and the kind of monuments it builds is laid out in, uh, I will tell you, sometimes disturbing clarity. So take a look at rabbidaniellappin.com and explore a uh, resource which you can download right away if you're interested. It's called Tower of Power. Take a look at that, and if you'll give me a moment... I will be right back with you here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Welcome back, all you happy warriors. Welcome back to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where your rabbi, that would be me, reminds you of how the world really works. And one way that the world really works is that whether it's an individual, a company, or an international organization like NATO, any time somebody engages in self-aggrandizing behavior, any time somebody engages in behavior that promotes themselves, take care, watch out. And so uh, I lay all this out in great detail in an audio presentation along with a study guide called... Tower of Power, decoding the secrets of Babel, because obviously the Tower of Babel is the place in Scripture where this permanent principle is enshrined. That's where we find it. And then I show you how it has applied um, in general, really very reliably. Uh, It's been uh, true of major corporations like Pan Am and Sears, And I believe it is now true also of NATO. Uh, NATO's growing irrelevance in the current world 
uh, is highlighted, I think, by this desperate attempt at self-aggrandizement. A new building in Brussels on uh, Boulevard uh, King Leopold. And uh, look, let's bear in mind the role of, of NATO, right? It's fairly limited. Uh, there are occasional exercises, there's coordinating uh, the militaries of several different countries. But, I mean, they're not actually doing a whole lot, right? It's peacetime. They're not doing a whole lot. So they build a new building, which has just opened, and you should see pictures of this thing. It's truly gigantic. But uh, if you are one of those people who prefers numbers to pictures like me, uh, then let me tell you the numbers. How's about nearly 3 million square feet of office space? 3 million. To put that into perspective, the United States Pentagon, right, the largest office building in the world, uh, which controls the entire United States military, millions of employees, uh, huge amounts of armaments, right? the nato actually has no armaments it's just a, a coordinating center for a number of different countries each with their own militaries but the pentagon with millions of employees and battleships and destroyers and bombers and fighters and it's a huge operation right to administer all of that well uh, the pentagon has just about the same amount of office space as the new nato headquarters that's how crazy this is and when you see that happening, run for your life. <laughs> In this case, there's nothing to fear from NATO. But if you needed another signal of its impending irrelevance, that is it. That's the building. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, I, I wish absolutely no harm to the Tesla motor car company. Uh, none whatsoever, and I, I wish no harm to, to Elon Musk, but uh, I have pointed out in the past that, in my view, not a great investment. On one of these shows months back, I compared uh, Tesla to uh, General Motors and to Ford. Uh, I also spoke about the fact that Elon Musk's attention was not focused exclusively on the company. I also pointed out that the huge governmental uh, subsidies that were given to purchases of Tesla cars, entirely unfairly, by the way, I mean, it's just no business of government, totally unconstitutional, n why tax money should be pay taken from hardworking people uh, in, you know, in, in, uh, in Idaho or Nevada or Arkansas and given to wealthy people buying Teslas. <laughs> it makes no sense at all. But that's what's been going on. But thank goodness uh, these are being phased out. And I'm pretty sure that under President Trump, they're not going to be reinstated, which would be great. But um, all of that, there's something else. And I'm not saying that Tesla is building huge headquarters because they're not. But Elon Musk is a little bit too preoccupied with his own self-aggrandizement. Uh, there really was no reason for him to fling himself into the Thailand cave rescue. There wasn't. And uh, when one of the heads of the rescue operation said that this little mini submarine built out of uh, parts of uh, SpaceX rocket ventures, uh, I think it was fuel tanks, uh, when one of these people said, 
that look you know thanks very much it's not really useful because um, you need the flexibility of the human body to get around some of these tight corners and the cave is narrow and tight and a, a long rigid object four or five feet long just not going to work um, uh, elon musk who actually had traveled to thailand right a guy with a company that is struggling to reach production targets shouldn't be going to thailand shouldn't be distracted by mini submarines shouldn't be uh and then he followed up with a twitter barrage which resulted in a drop in the value of tesla stock of three percent why because the market is made up of you know millions of people each of whom has his and her own judgment and many many people said what i would say if uh, if i own tesla stock which was you know what um I, I'm seeing this guy too distracted by anything that's going on, too eager to promote himself. He may not be building a huge headquarters, although that may still come. But uh, right now, he's sort of uh, turning himself into a monument of something. I'm uneasy, and I'm selling, I'm getting out of the stock. And enough people did that to drive the value of the stock down by uh, about 3.5% on, on that particular day. So this is a, a very good general rule about how the world really works, and that's uh, the, the story of NATO. But um, you might well say, but hang on, wait a second, uh, the Justice Department indicted 12 people uh, for uh, hacking and spying on our computers. Yeah, they did. And anybody at this stage who still thinks that the FBI is an untarnished organization, an organization that has not become a left-leaning bureaucratic machine, uh, part of what is called the deep state by many people, um, then, you know, you may not be fully in touch with reality. Um, if the Strzok hearing and the Comey hearings and, and a whole lot of other stuff hasn't yet persuaded you that uh, the FBI needs a huge cleaning before it can again become worthy of the kind of respect it used to enjoy uh, in in the days when there were radio shows right before even before television was widespread uh, there used to be radio shows about g-men right government men FBI agents uh, it's um, it's going to need a lot of work, a lot of cleanup, a lot of restoring integrity before I think a majority of Americans once again believe it. But that being the case, there's a very simple question to ask, and that is, why were these Russian indictments, 12 Russian indictments, why were they revealed literally hours before President Trump headed to Russia to speak to NATO and to speak to Vladimir Putin? Why? just before the Trump-Putin summit. What was going on? Okay, it's very clear that the intention of the announcements then was to increase doubts about Mr. Trump and, uh, and to even attempt to shape the agenda, right? We're, we're, we're talking on this show about why it is that the left ignores the real potential threat on the horizon, namely China, and obsessively preoccupies itself with a make-believe threat from Russia, when in reality, and this is something I, I said two years ago on the show, and I still do, which is that in reality, the most natural ally for America right now is Russia. 
right? Natural allies, both of them concerned about China, United States and Russia, both concerned about uh, Islamic fundamentalism, right? Both of them concerned about world economic growth. There are a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons why uh, Trump and Putin shouldn't be friends and why the two countries shouldn't become strategic allies, which would then, of course, render NATO, NATO completely irrelevant. And that obviously is part of it. Another part of it is not wanting Trump to get any credit for this uh, huge sea change that will happen when tr- uh, America and Russia do become allies, which I, f- I think is such a natural and obvious occurrence that it is almost inevitable. And uh, additionally, of course, the, uh, the left concerned about a, an America ascendant prefers to ignore real threats and focus on imaginary ones. Uh, but to go back to this basic question of why did the FBI release, why did the Justice Department release the indictment of 12 Russian agents just, just, just before the president headed to uh, to speak to President Putin in Finland. Um, look, there's there's no question about it. The they wanted to impact that meeting, and they wanted to make it less possible. They wanted to make it politically challenging for the president to make any kind of comfortable uh, relationship with Putin. So. Uh, uh, you know, and again, look, it made no sense. What was the urgency? Why did it have to be exactly then? Surely the sound thinking was, should have been, look, the president is just meeting, don't, don't muddy the waters. You know, isn't that what a normal Justice Department that answers to the administration that's under the executive, uh, a FBI that answers to the Justice Department, wouldn't the same thing have been, you know what, guys, the president is just about, let's not muddy the waters. There's no rush, right? Because from a law enforcement standpoint, there's nothing we can do about these indictments. All 12 defendants are in Russia, and I can promise you they're never, ever going to see the inside of a U.S. courtroom not going to happen. If you really feel those are huge problems, even though they are low-level people, not part of the elite Russian spy agency at all, even if you really believe that something must be done about them, uh, then you can lure them into a neutral country, which, by the way, was was done in 2008 with a a Russian guy called Viktor Bout. Um, And what happened is there was a sealed indictment uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, DEA lured him to Thailand. He was seized. The Russians tried to make the Thais not give him up to America, but Thailand did, and he was extradited to the United States. If it's that important, you set up that quiet process. But if your goal was just to embarrass Trump and to impact the uh, the summit meeting, then you release those indictments hours before the president has his meeting with Trump. That's my view of what has really been going on here. And uh, uh, the, the idea that, that Russia would be embarrassed by this is, is laughable because uh, one of the great things about President Putin and President Trump, which is why I think uh, they really do have a comfortable relationship, is both are strong, both are immune to criticism, both laugh it off. And that's one of the great things about uh, why we are blessed to have President Trump right now, and that is he's immune 
to all the attacks, as President Putin is. In other words, when uh, you may remember, <clears throat> there was a guy called Alexander Litvinenko. Uh, he was a defector from Russia to the United Kingdom and um, uh, directly instructed from Putin, he was poisoned with a polonium dart or something. Uh, Putin was responsible for that in the same way that Putin was responsible for the bombing of a Moscow apartment building. You remember way back in uh, in 2000 or 99, um, and that was served as a pretext for the invasion of Chechnya. These are things that President Putin has done, does do, and he's not in the least bit embarrassed. The idea that indicting 12 junior computer hackers is going to embarrass him is laughable. It wasn't done for any reason other than to try and embarrass President Trump and to try and impact the nature of the meeting between Trump and Putin. Um, so, I mean, gosh, it's, it's, so, uh, it's so important that this is understood, that we know what's really going on. And so when, when you hear things that say our intelligence agencies say that they hacked the 2016 election please don't be so gullible understand that all of this is politically motivated uh when president trump threw into doubt his uh belief in that theory he was exactly right now he was forced to walk it back and i actually don't quite understand why i haven't had time to look into that it doesn't much matter but uh it's clear that he shares uh, my skepticism that, uh, that this was a big deal, particularly if you think about how active um, Obama was in the Israeli elections. Obama interfered actively to try and prevent Netanyahu being elected as prime, re-elected as prime minister of Israel. Uh, the, the, this involvement in the elections of other nations, it's been going on all the time. And would Russia do it as well? Maybe, maybe not. But so what? The thing you've really got to ask yourself is what harms America more? Russian hacking into the 2016 election, which, I mean, there's zero evidence that it impacted it, right? They didn't get into the voting machines. <laughs> what they did do is they, they got into some of the DNC computers. But what about the fact that Hillary had 30,000 emails? which she did not turn over because she just said, oh, they were personal. But what happens if they contain damaging information? Shall we say having to do with Clinton Foundation fundraising? Not out of the question, right? And then Russia would have wanted to have Clinton win because they would have held over her head damaging data about, that they knew about her fundraising. How interested was the FBI in all of that? Not at all, because this is all part of an anti-Trump army, an anti-Trump war. That's what it's really all about. The, um, uh, the uh, website, rabbidaniellappin.com, and uh, make sure that you get Four tools. You can subscribe to one or two or three of the emails we send out every week. One of them is Thought Tools, which is a practical life lesson based on a ancient Jewish wisdom biblical principle. Uh, Susan's musings, which is, I mean, they're like the most pro the, the most popular thing. I mean, 
um, you know, we've fortunately we've got many tens of thousands of uh, subscribers, and uh, and we sort of get a sense of which of the things we mail out people like the most. Anyway, that's very popular. And then we also have a very popular weekly mailing called Ask the Rabbi. Uh, one of the recent ones was um, about a, a guy who's involved with a woman who may or may not have just got divorced, and the question is when would it be appropriate for him to meet her children, and how should he meet her children, and is the fact that he got involved with her while she was still married a problem, and uh, we answer that on the ask. Anyway, all of this is at the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. You got it? Write it down, www.rabbidaniellappin.com. Dot com, and you'll also see a, um, a, a, a something called Tower of Power: Decoding the Secrets of Babel, which is a two-hour audio program that that you can download, having to do with not only uh, the impact of huge headquarters like the one that NATO has just opened, uh, but also the um, the presentation of the principles of socialism. Why it is that since time immemorial, it's not just since the Democratic Party of 2018, and it's not since the Russian Revolution, it's not since the French Revolution, but uh, since time immemorial, socialism, leftism, progressivism, communism, call it what you will, but the idea of power of government versus the power of God, uh, centralized control as opposed to individual freedom. That fire has burned in the minds of men from the very beginning. What are these underlying principles that are so irresistibly seductive? There, it's all laid out in Tower of the Power. You'll love listening to it, and as a wonderful uh, device for family connectedness, if you listen to it with your spouse or listen to it with your children, you have conversation starters so instead of having your kids off in their room watching tv uh, you can generate family togetherness by discussing ideas Um, if you haven't tried it you'll be astonished at just how powerful that really is so rabbi daniel i'll be back with you in just a moment revealing how the world really works my dedicated mission on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Thanks for being part of it. And as always, those of you who I, I see promoting it on uh, social media and uh, elsewhere, I see you forwarding links and things. Thank you very much for doing that. And those of you who uh, promote it in other ways, namely just telling people about it or sending people a link to um, uh to the, the 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 show as I send it out to you, all of that much appreciated. The uh, listenership continues to climb very very dramatically, and uh, obviously that is very good for me. So I appreciate it. Now, in general, as you know, <clears throat> I like the show uh, to be true everywhere and all the time, ideally. And so that, for that reason, I, I don't focus on telling you news items because you, you're all more than capable of finding out whatever you want to find out and keeping up with whatever news interests you. You can do all of that. But when I do speak about current events, as I am in this show, and namely the uh, ongoing attacks against President Donald Trump 
on the part of American progressives, including, by the way, large numbers of Republicans who, instead of seeing that their own interests are best served by supporting the president, are so obsessively infuriated by him. And I'm thinking of people like John McCain, who, as of the time of this recording, cannot bring himself to show up in D.C. for uh, for votes. And I understand he's ill, that's fine. But he certainly manages to issue damaging and arrogant pronouncements against President Trump from his sickbed in Arizona. Um, Mr. McCain, do the decent thing and, and resign. Do one last decent act. For how long are you going to cling to your seat, incapable of fulfilling your role, but hanging on to it nonetheless? Right now, there's a Republican governor in Arizona. If you resign your seat, he will, in, he will appoint your successor. That means that the president's judicial appointments would have somebody available to vote. That's a good thing. Couldn't you do that? Open note to John McCain. Uh, in general, I like the show discussing things that never change. The, the permanent principles that apply everywhere all the time. You know, why do I like that? Well, it's not only because I know that people listen to this show, in some cases, years after they were originally recorded. Um, I can tell that because I go back and I watch the numbers of how many people have listened or downloaded, and I go back to shows from 2016, even 2015, because the show's been going on that long. And uh, I watch those numbers climb. And so I like making certain that whenever anybody listens to the show, they will find something of value, uh, which if the show is entirely news-driven, that would simply not be the case. And it's not news-driven. I never claimed it would be. Uh, The show is driven by ancient Jewish wisdom. And what do we know about ancient Jewish wisdom? Well, that it applies everywhere at all times. And that's not true for everything, right? There are what I call timeless truths, and there are permanent principles found in the Torah that I explain what I call ancient Jewish wisdom. And those timeless truths and permanent principles are applicable in every country and in every generation, past, present, and future. Now, that's obviously not true for everything, right? Um, Let's imagine there was a principle that says, and, and there is actually, don't sit or stand under a tree in a thunderstorm. Okay, well, that's a, uh, a very nice rule if you happen to live in Missouri. But if you live in the middle of the Gobi Desert, where there are neither trees nor thunderstorms, well, then that principle is irrelevant. Um, there was a rule, there was a law for a certain period of time. I don't believe in the United States. I think it was a rule only in England. And that was that a man with a red flag had to walk in front of trains. Right? And this was true in the 18th century for a short while. 
<laughs> because trains were scary and new and revolutionary and people had to be warned of their arrival as if their incredible noise and obtrusive bulk wouldn't be enough warning. So there was a rule. You've got to, drive, you've got to uh, have a man with a red flag in front of a train. That was a rule that applied only in certain places and for a certain period of time. Or how about the rule, women and children first? Uh, you know, sadly, there was another ferry sinking in Asia. It happened so, so much uh, the other day. And, and again, there was absolutely no hint of women and children first. That is a rule that applies only in the West. And I'm not even sure it still applies. It did for a fairly long time, and I hope it still does, but I don't really know. I hope there won't be any test of it. Um, but by contrast, there are laws like um, the, the law of universal gravitation. This says that everything, everything that has weight is attracted to every other thing that is, has weight. And the bulkier or heavier these two objects are, more they will attract one another and pull towards one another. And the closer they are to one another, the more they will pull towards one another. And so the reason that there is a measurable attraction between the moon and the earth is because although there's a quarter of a million miles separating them, they are both such huge bodies that they feel this pull towards one another. Uh, by the way, uh, what is not clearly understood is the nature of this force. We measure it, we know it, we know the rules it operates under, but like what makes two objects in space pull towards each other? Uh, you know, if you shoot two cannonballs into space and you shoot them in parallel trajectories, uh, shall we say three feet apart from one another, they will, and let's assume they don't fall under the influence of any other planets, and there they are just flying through space, they will gradually and fairly quickly converge until they're moving together through space touching one another what makes them pull together this law of universal gravitation it applies everywhere and always or if i tell you there's a rule that any process of burning making a fire requires oxygen always applies everywhere uh, at all times it's not as if in the 16th century that didn't apply or uh, if i tell you that uh, uh, Men feel a powerful attraction to attractive women, to beautiful women. Again, right, that, that was true in the days of Moses. Uh, it was true in, in the days of uh, every, I mean, whatever you like. And it's also true everywhere. Okay, now you're going to say that doesn't apply to homosexual men. Fine, okay. Um, but that's an example. So what I like discussing on the show are these timeless principles that you can always count upon everywhere and i enjoy trying to apply them to circumstances that we are uh, witness to on a day-to-day -day basis now i should also tell you that uh, you should not be confused by the term uh, jewish values because jewish values are things that come out of the torah that come out of scripture but there are other values that are adopted by the majority of Jews that doesn't make it a Jewish value. You know, let's imagine that uh, 
archaeologists in years to come say in in 2018 the population of America was mostly Christian. That is a true statement. And let's imagine another group of anthropologists or archaeologists said in 2018, um, homosexual marriage was approved in the United States of America. I mean, it was approved before that, but it was practiced. Then a third archaeologist or sociologist might come along and say, oh, it must have been a Christian value to have homosexual marriage. No, just because a lot of people in America approved homosexual marriage, and there are a lot of Christians in America, doesn't mean that that's a Christian value, all right? In the same way, and just because a majority of Jews are uh, people who regard the Democratic Party as um, uh, Judaism without the holidays, um, or as the uncircumcised wing of the local reform temple. Uh, no, uh, that doesn't mean anything. I'll tell you there's another term. I, I hope you've never even heard of this term, and, and if so, so much the better. Uh, but there's a term called tikkun olam, which means uh, improving the world. This is essentially the badge of Jewish social activism. And this is not about... Um, helping poor people. This is not about making yourself into a better person. This is not becoming a better parent or a better spouse. No, this is about promoting a socialistic vision for politics and economics. That's what it is. And so you'll hear people sanctimonious, you'll hear Jewish people sanctimoniously intoning, oh, tikkun olam, run for your life when you hear it because it has absolutely nothing to do with the Torah. It has absolutely nothing to do with Jewish values, but it has to do with throwing the blanket of Jewish endorsement over progressive political activism. That's really what it is. Um, I have to t I'll tell you something rather extraordinary. Let me tell you uh, about a columnist. There's a Jewish columnist for the New York Times. He is lionized and fated uh, as if he is, you know, some really, truly great person. His name is Thomas Friedman. And to give you an idea of the extent to which the left considers its ideas and its values to be universal, and the extent to which the left considers its ideas to not just be political doctrines, but considers them to be synonymous with virtue and goodness. I found an, uh, a, a column that Thomas Friedman wrote in the New York Times, for heaven's sake, the paper of record. This is March 16th, 2003. And um, uh he, you know, talking about support for the Gulf War. Remember, right, this is during the presidency of George W. Bush. Um, and he's, uh, he's talking about a meeting that George W. Bush had with British Prime Minister at the time, Tony Blair. And you'll remember the American left loved Tony Blair. They regarded George W. Bush as, oh, he's an uncouth cowboy from Texas. And, it, you know, it was so funny because... Uh, their anger towards George W. Bush at the time, while nowhere near the level of the fury they currently have for President Trump, uh, was similar in nature. And so listen to Thomas. I'm going to actually read you his words um, uh, 
talking about uh, President Bush. I'm glad President Bush is meeting with Tony Blair. In fact, I wish he would turn over leadership on the whole Iraq crisis to him. Mr. Blair has an international vision that Mr. Bush sorely needs. President Bush should be in charge of marshalling the power for this war, says the Middle East expert Stephen Cohen. Tony Blair should be in charge of the vision for which that power should be applied. Why? Why does Tony Blair get, excuse me, what does Tony Blair get that George Bush doesn't, asks Thomas Friedman. The only way I can explain it is by a concept from the Kabbalah, (laughs) that's Judaism, called Tikkun Olam. It means to repair the world. If you listen to Tony Blair's speeches in recent weeks, they contain something so strikingly absent from Mr. Bush's. Tony Blair constantly puts the struggle for a better Iraq within a broader context of moral concerns. Tony Blair always leaves you with the impression that for him the Iraq war is just one hammer and one nail in an effort to do tikkun olam, to repair the world. Do you see, my friends, the internationalism there? The idea that America should pursue American interests? Outrageous. There must be a bigger moral vision. There should be tikkun olam repairing the world. That is what the progressive left, and sadly too many Republicans, see as the role of America. I I have to give you another paragraph of um, Thomas Friedman in the New York Times from 2003. He continues, Did you see Tony Blair's recent speech about the environment? He called for a new international consensus to protect our environment and combat the devastating impacts of climate change. Kyoto is not radical enough, he said. Ultimately, this is about our world as a global community. What we lack at present is a common agenda that is broad and just. That is the real task of statesmanship today. Are you beginning to see why the left hates Donald Trump so much? He threatens their vision of the international the socialist dream of a world without borders, the global citizen, unfettered immigration, and why it is that they certainly do not want any American action on China, but they sure want to break up any possible connection with Russia. Why? After all, wouldn't that be part of the idea? America and Russia unified, wouldn't that? No, because Russia is strongly focused under President Putin on Russian interests. And America is fully focused on American interests. And that's just the way it ought to be. Because when, think about it, think about it on a, in a business context, right? What is easier to do? Business with somebody whose interests are shrouded and hidden or somebody whose interests are perfectly clear? It's so much easier to go to somebody in a normal business context. And by the way, I strongly recommend that you learn to be comfortable with a phrase. I have a deal I want to suggest to you. I have a mutually, uh, a potentially mutually profitable idea to run by you, right? I assume you would like to make money and I would like to make money. Here is a way we could collaborate that would be profitable for both of us. But when somebody says, oh, I'm not in it for the money. Are you in it for the power? No, I'm in it because I'm a community organizer. I'm an activist. Now I don't know what you want. 
and it's very hard to come to any agreement. The reason uh, America and Russia are natural allies and why Putin and, uh, and Trump should go well together is because they are both for their own individual countries. It's so much easier to get along when these interests are clear. But up till now, for many, many decades already, America's interest has been to improve the world. Listen to the words that Thomas Friedman used. Global, internet, kept on using those words. Repairing the world. No. America is about America, and that is the, the concept of President Trump that resonated so effectively with the people in November 2016. Um, okay, sorry, gone over time on this segment, but uh, quick pause. Let me remind you again, I would love for you to go to um, um, uh, com and let me suggest a mutually profitable deal. You buy an immediate download of Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of Babel, and I make a profit, and you get the benefit of two hours of Bible teaching along with a study guide explaining not only the principle of tall buildings and how it applies today, but also the underlying secrets of the seductiveness of socialism. Why is it that your cousin or your uncle or your brother-in-law who you see every Thanksgiving, cannot escape this fatal pull of socialism, why he finds it so attractive. That all is found in Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of Babel. By the way, a whole lot of other stuff also available free at our website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Quick break, and I, your devoted and dedicated rabbi, will be right back. We're back again, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, as you well know. Thanks for being with us. And uh, one of the other things that happened in the early 60s, and I've, I've spoken about the huge cultural, social, economic changes that took place in the 1960s, early 60s, particularly when it began. But one of the other things that took place was the change in the idea of American interests. Back then, we were very comfortable, as I believe we ought to be, with dictators, unpleasant people, but who were pro-American. We used to stand by the Shah of Iran. He ran the country of Iran. Was America immeasurably better off with Iran under the Shah than it is with Iran under the Muslim mullahs? Of course, there's no question about it. And so for that reason, we propped him up, we kept him going. And in exchange, he kept uh, Iran under control. Uh, and by the way, people loved it. One of the best evidences of that is how they voted with their feet. There is a huge Iranian population today living in America, huge, a massive Iranian diaspora, uh, many of them living in Los Angeles, by the way. In fact, the entire flavor of Los Angeles has been changed, by the way, I think for the better. Uh, Los Angeles has become a late-night city. The quality of restaurants has improved. Um, it's, uh, the Iranians bring a lot. At the same time, a lot of business professionals in Los Angeles feel that doing business with Iranians is culturally different. It's very challenging, very difficult. The whole, the whole idea of a deal being a deal and a word being a word, not part of an Iranian culture. But uh, the bottom line is that when the uh, Shah was deposed, 
huge numbers of Iranians left the country. Anyone who could did. Things went from bad to worse. Uh, because in those days, we understood that the important thing was American interests. It wasn't our job or business to interfere in what people did in their own countries. And uh, you should know, of course, that uh, we consider to be, you know, oh, it's outrageous that Russia interfered with American elections. Well, they, other countries, considered it far worse when we interfered with their ideas of civil rights and human rights. You know, this is a completely conjured up idea that all human beings have certain rights. A right is meaningless if you do not have the phone number or the address and the name of the person who guarantees those rights. But otherwise, to say a right is complete nonsense. I've told you about how when I was crossing the Pacific with my family in our sailboat a few years back, um, due to exhaustion, I came up with the idea that we'd, we were out of water. I was so overtired uh, that I mismeasured the water tank, and I thought I th we were halfway <laughs> halfway between um, the North America and Hawaii when I felt no more water. And I remember sort of laughing at myself, thinking, um, well, the Constitution... Uh, of the country of which I'm a citizen guarantees me the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Great. Well, I could really use somebody bringing that right to life to me right now in the middle of the Pacific. And it's a laughable right. Yeah, it means absolutely nothing. There's nobody I could have phoned up or radioed through to say, hello, I need, my, I need to evoke my right to life. Invoke. No, nothing like that. Uh, for a, a Namibian tribesman um, to claim his human rights is absurd. Uh, for somebody being executed in China for some obscure and, uh, and unreasonable reason in order that his organs can be harvested, and I don't know if this still happens in China, but until recently it did, um, and he says, wait, where are my human rights? It means absolutely nothing. So... Um, uh, it's important to understand that other countries saw us as interfering in their internal affairs. Uh, American visions of democracy, contrary to the idea of many Republicans as well as progressives, are not necessarily applicable elsewhere. The whole idea that the Gulf Wars and the Iraq War was going to turn Iraq into a little, um, you know, Idaho town. <laughs> No, it doesn't work like that. It's not like that at all. The truth is that for us to have destroyed, sacrificed our relationship with Russia in order to stand up for Ukraine was an insanity. It made absolutely no... Look, I know the stuff goes against everything you hear, and I know it goes against probably what uh, you intuitively feel. But um, I implore you, please at least consider the possibility that you've been indoctrinated by the culture, by the media, by the news, in, in the same way that I mentioned in the last show that uh, we've all been, we were all indoctrinated into thinking that the 12 uh, boys of the soccer team in northern Thailand were like the most important uh, young boys on the planet. It's not true. It, there is no objective reality to that. It's manipulation, emotional manipulation. And so the same way here, oh, the brave Ukrainians tried to resist the, uh, uh, the, um, the Russian takeover. 
not our business. It really isn't. And Obama really made it the worst of every possible world because, first of all, he antagonized Russia by uh, coming in on the side of the Ukrainians. And then he refused to, he didn't stand up to his commitment. He sent nothing to the Ukrainians. Uh, so, look, the thing is that for the, the Russians, for Putin, it was the hardest thing in the world to understand why America would act against its own interests. And, and I totally believe this. I've, I've, I've read reports that, um, um, that, that Putin was truly astounded, couldn't understand. Um, and, and I believe it because back in 2004, um, Vladimir Putin, who was watching the news, um, and people who were with him that night, reported how angry he was at the unfolding orange revolution in ukraine and he he was very bitter about america that night he said they lied to me i'll never trust them again and the truth is that putin couldn't understand then and i i don't think the russians can understand now why america and for that matter uh, western europe threw over destroyed, abandoned a potential strategic alliance with Russia for Ukraine. You know, like, do they not understand the stupidity of the West? No, it's not a case of stupidity. They don't understand the extent to which America has been taken over by globalists, by internationalists, of which Thomas Friedman of the New York Times happens to be one, just one conspicuous one. George Soros, who... Uh, um, plays so much of an influential role in the Democratic Party as another. And look, uh, I mean, Democratic congressmen, and, I, I, the, the list is far too long. Basically, American culture today has been utterly taken over by people who do not think there should be a country called America and a country called Russia. No, there should be one world, no borders, no boundaries. And that's why it is that uh, there's a woman who's just won a Democratic primary in New York who um, makes as part of her platform the demolition of uh, the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, the ICE, and, and people buy it. And the Democrats are seriously thinking, I mean, more prudent Democrats are saying people are not going to go for this, but ideologically, people like Bernie Sanders and many, many other Democrats really do go. Yeah, I know Bernie Sanders isn't strictly speaking a Democrat, but um, people go for this idea. Of, of getting rid of borders. They really do believe it. Uh, but for people who understand that the international order is best maintained by nation states uh, looking after their own interests, yes, for people like that, um, it makes perfect sense that Russia takes over Ukraine. And good luck to them. Not our business. Look, maybe a way that I can help you make sense of this, because I don't want you to think that I'm a terrible, terrible person. I really don't. Um, but I've got a limited amount of time in these shows, and uh, I really do believe that my mission is to tell you the truth in terms of ancient Jewish wisdom, as opposed to necessarily massaging you with warm butter and making you feel good and making me feel good because you feel good. And so um, I, I think a, a good way to think about it is neighbors let's imagine you got a neighbor what do you really care about you care about the fact that your neighbor doesn't uh, 
cook odious meals at all hours of the day or night in his garden, wafting foul-smelling odors and smoke into your garden. That's one of the things. You don't want him to play loud music and have raucous parties all hours of the night. Those are things you really don't want. Um, you don't want him to uh, um, to throw garbage over the fence into your yard. You don't want him to poison your dog. You don't want him to kill your cat or key your car or kick your kids. Uh, They're very specific things you don't want your neighbor to do. But what happens if you discover that your neighbor is cruel to his own dog? What do you do if your neighbor you discover is is behaves not nicely to his own kids i'm not going to go into the area of criminal abuse or things like that here but basically uh, i'm not doing that because you and your neighbor both live under a legal system of your state and your country but countries do not there is no such thing as international law please don't buy into that fad a complete fantasy and so that's why let's leave aside illegal behavior. But let's imagine that your neighbor engages in behavior that you find odious and horrible, not towards you, but how he conducts himself. Let's imagine that your neighbor um, uh, maintains his yard and paints his house, doesn't reduce property values on your street. Everything's fine. But inside his house, he has the most appalling taste in internal decoration. None of this is your business. And why would you risk the good relations you have in terms of neighborly behavior by turning him into an enemy, by getting involved in minding his own business and getting into his affairs? He'll resent it, and he'll start throwing things into your yard. Why would you do that? It's so stupid. It's not in your interests. As a homeowner and as a person responsible for your family and your neighborhood, you have very specific interests. And the relations between you and your neighbor are best maintained by offense and by clear understandings of what neighborly behavior is. And that includes not having parties till 3 a.m. at night, um, you know, on Wednesday nights, actually not even on Saturday nights. But that's neighborly behavior. Things that are inside his own home and pertaining to the family in his not your business and by getting involved in them your children are right to be angry with you because they look to you to maintain an atmosphere of tranquility and stability and harmony and you've gone and stuck your nose into your neighbor's affairs which has turned your neighbor into an enemy are you beginning to see the connection it's really important to understand remember in 2014 that was under um, Obama, uh, the, there was the Maidan uprising in Ukraine. And uh, you'll remember the, uh, uh, the, the Yanukovych government, that I think that was how the guy pronounced his name. Uh, America was involved in that, right? Hillary Clinton at the time was Secretary of State, and she was supporting this Ukrainian coup because the idea of... If we could sort of encourage a coup in Ukraine, then that would encourage people in Moscow to get rid of Putin. This is insanity. And part of Clinton's idea was that the Ukrainian coup would uh, deprive Russia of its uh, naval sea base in Crimea. And she was so stupid. This is a very, very unwise woman because she had no idea that Russia would simply take over Ukraine. She she never got that idea. So... um, Unfortunately, 
this is a sickness of the left in America, including, unfortunately, many, many, many Republicans. Uh, it's a sickness that somehow American values must be exported to the world. No, it's not your job to make your neighbor live his life just like your family lives their life. Your only job is to make sure that there are neighborly relations. That's all. My goodness, um, I, I certainly do hope that, that, that this is clear. I mean, I've gone over time again, but this stuff is, is really important. And I, I beg you, uh, I beseech you, please don't just dismiss it because you disagree with what I'm saying. Please, I ask you, uh, please do me the courtesy as, as I regard you with esteem and respect. Just do me the courtesy of at least assuming that I'm not crazy and just maybe listen to this more than once. Stop it and think about it. Maybe listen to it together with friends and, and just consider the possibility that, hey, you know what? Yes. And if that means that President Trump is right on all these things, hey, that's okay. That's, it's fine for the first time in decades to have a president who actually has an understanding of how the world really works. That's a good thing. I'm very happy that that Trump is different from Obama and different from George W. Bush. Um, you know, if if he was a more polished speaker, again, you know, does he have a limited vocabulary and he's, is he a less than eloquent public speaker? Yes. But unlike President Obama, he can speak without a without using a teleprompter. I prefer that. I prefer it. And I'm so pleased that he doesn't come from an academic background, that he didn't come to the White House from being a law professor. Uh, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very pleased. And when liberals dismiss him as being a coarse individual, um, <clears throat> look, you know what? Uh, he's the Donald, and, and, and that kind of is what mattered to most people, certainly enough to elect him. Um, he's not he's not an ideologue, ideologue who's trying to transform into a uh, transform America into something different. Like Obama told us, he warned us on day one that he was going to transform America. Um, look, it's Trump understands that making America great involves making America prosperous. Those things are, are inseparable. It is not possible to have strong borders and military strength and uh, and and having policies that benefit the majority of the citizens, you can't do that without prosperity. Um, it's it's great that Trump doesn't come from the Beltway. He's not divorced from from the needs of ordinary working people. He knows what hard work is. And yes, as I've often told you, yes, he 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 did get an inheritance, but he transformed a very nice inheritance into a huge fortune. Far more people convert huge fortunes into smaller sums of money. Um, look, I, I, I've said before, I'm, I'm personally, I'm a religious person. I believe that God put Trump in place because nobody but him, no one else in the Republican lineup in 2016 primaries could possibly have been the 11th hour president that Trump is. Um, yeah, look, I mean, the economy is doing well. Trade imbalances are being addressed. All the threatened problems that would come from tariffs, uh, nothing like that is happening. And I doubt the tariffs will be in place for very long, but they were needed to show other countries that we are now looking after America's interests, not the world's interests. Uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, the Islamic mullahs 
are beginning to, uh, to, to become serious. Saudi Arabia is a different country today. North Korea is taking America more seriously. Uh, the Democrats continue to disgrace themselves. This, all good things, illegals are being dealt with. This is all good stuff, all good stuff. And um, uh, I'm, I'm pleased about it. Uh, you know, people, uh, people praised Obama. I've heard this over and over again. President Obama was suave and sophisticated. That is as irrelevant to a president as it is to say, oh, uh, 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 Trump is vulgar and coarse. What are you talking about? What, the, what does this mean? And in any event, um, you know, I, I sure would have been impressed if, if anybody who criticizes Trump would also say, you know what? The fact is that um, whatever Donald Trump has done, let's be proportional about it, right? You guys like proportionality. Well, let's be proportional about it. Um, has Donald Trump um, cavorted with a young intern in the Oval Office? Has he ever been photographed with his seat, feet on the Oval Office desk like Obama? Um, did he use, has he ever used vulgar language in cabinet meetings like uh, Johnson did? Did he ever shuttle mistresses in and out of the White House while Melania was away, just as John F. Kennedy did when Jackie was away? Right? I'd like to hear similar levels of revulsion for those vulgar and coarse behaviors, but no. Everything is reserved. All the hatred is reserved just for Trump. You know what? I don't care because Trump doesn't care. If there were signs that it hurt him and bothered him and upset him, then I would be upset because I think America needs Trump to be Trump and to continue doing all the things that he is doing. So uh, that, my dear friends, is as far as we can go. I know this was a, a little more of a political show than we sometimes do, but it was also, I think, uh, substantively uh, equipped with permanent principles and timeless truths that apply and work absolutely everywhere. Thanks so much for being part of the show. Uh, visit the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Go ahead and get yourself a copy of uh, Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of Babel, which uh, you can even get by downloading right away. And until we are together again next week, uh, wishing you a week of good health and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.